all the little preps. Morning, church. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. The Johnny Cash Band. He's always going to show in black. If you're going to all show up in black, you got to buy Daryl a black shirt. This morning, I'm going to uh, read a little bit from John chapter 1. If you uh, have a Bible with you or a, uh, an electronic instrument that imitates the Bible, if you're looking for one, there might be one near you in a, in a pew back. But I'm going to be looking in John chapter 1. If, uh, if you're looking for John, it's about that far through your Bible. Um, it's in the New Testament. New Testament begins about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. It begins with the book of Matthew. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you've gone on to Acts, Romans, Corinthians, something like that, back up a little bit. John is in that New Testament fourth, fourth book in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 1. It's a long chapter. We're going to pick it up at about verse 28. Today we're talking about the Apostle Peter's little brother. Verse 28. These things were done in Bethabara, which is uh, in the uh, New King James, which is I'm reading from. Some of your Bibles will say Bethany. It's Bethany Transjordan. It's Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. Beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I have said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me. So clearly John had been preaching on this topic before, right? Because he's reminding them of what he had said before. This is what I told you before. This is what I've been telling you about. For he, who, he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remaining upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say in translation, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. There's a lot more that I could read and we're going to cover a a, a bit more of the pieces of this today. But I want you to get a little bit of a context of what's going on. John the Baptist is baptizing. He's on the other side of the the Jordan River at a place called Beth Beth Arba or Bethany, Transjordan. And in that place, there are a couple of his disciples who are hearing him make testimony about Jesus. So understand that the people we're introducing here are a couple of disciples of John as the story begins. 
Okay? And as the story begins to unfold, the backdrop of John's testimony is the starting point for the story. Okay? So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we have just invited you to watch over and bless and care for this church. As such, today we ask that you would watch over and care for each one who's here. We pray for your spirit. We pray that we might hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, many of you know that I'm a little bit ADD. And I do think ADD is a good thing to be if you're a preacher. But my phone's ringing inside my, uh, my book, and I'm never going to be able to face that if it continues through the service. So Peter's a little brother. You know what a little brother's like, right? A little brother's an imitator. A little brother's an irritator. A little brother's a, a fixator. A little brother is the one who's following along constantly, saying the things you're saying, doing the things you're doing, irritating the daylights out of you. That's a little brother, right? Everybody know what a little brother is? Peter had a little brother. His little brother's name was Andrew. And we have no more signal. While Sam gets that together, recently the, the, the quarterback of the Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger, made an interesting statement. How many of you are Steelers fans? Raise your hand if you're a Steelers fan. Trace, Cuatro, Cinco. Are you holding that little boy's hand up? Seis. Okay, I got six of you who are Steelers fans in here. This is what your quarterback said. Your quarterback, Big Ben Roethlisberger, supposed to be the big tough guy. He's, they have this great picture of him. It's been all over the news in the last week or so. Ben Roethlisberger talking to Tom Brady after the game in which Ben Roethlisberger's just been beat, smiling at each other. And then they, under the, this Ben Roethlisberger makes a comment to the media. Oh, well, the Steelers, we're kind of like the little brothers of the New England Patriots. You need to abandon that team today. They think they're somebody's little brother. This is an NFL team. Come on. At least have the courage to say, we got beaten, but we will get them. No self-respecting little brother would say this about his big brother. Every little brother I know is trying to get one over on his big brother. Right? The little brother who first wins the basketball game over his big brother runs in the house, tells mom and dad and anybody else who will listen. Right? And the first time that that happens, the second time the little brother goes in the house with a bloody nose because the big brother has elbowed him a couple of times as he was trying to get to the hoop. Right? Little brothers and big brothers. I like this picture. These, these shirts are becoming very popular. They're cute when they're little. They become irritating very quickly after this. I wanted to just set the stage because we're talking about Peter's little brother, Andrew. Today we're talking about Peter's little brother, Andrew, his name doesn't have nearly as fascinating a declension as James did last week. But this is just Andrew. It's, it's his Greek name. It's pretty much a fairly standard transliteration into English. But Andrew is the little brother of Peter. Everybody say, aww. Because that's what happened to him his whole life. Oh, you're Peter's little brother. Aww. Aren't you just darling? Aren't you just the sweetest little thing? When, half the time, when Peter and Andrew are in places in the Bible... Andrew doesn't even get mentioned. Who owns the boat that they are partners in? 
Both of them. They're partners. The Bible says they're partners. And yet, when Jesus, when Jesus borrows the boat to preach from, whose boat does the Bible say it is? Peter's. Then Jesus says, go out a little further and drop your nets. And Peter says, well, I, I, I don't know. We don't usually fish during the daytime because you sent us. We'll do it. And he goes out a little. He drops the boat, drops the, the net in the water. Andrew is still not mentioned. Then they have this giant catch of fish. You know what Andrew gets in this whole story? And they drew the nets in. That's Andrew. They. He doesn't get mentioned. Simon, Peter, and somebody else. It could have been Simon, Peter, and a Labrador retriever for all we know. They drew the nets in. Andrew is Peter's little brother. And he's, he's in the shadow of a pretty big guy. Scripturally, Peter casts a long shadow. This is a shadow that goes over James and over John as well. John seems to be the one most willing to kind of poke his head from behind that shadow. And yet here we are with the introduction to this man, this, this guy who's mentioned several times in, in doing things with Jesus, having a special connection with Jesus. He's there in this, this, this relationship that gives him access, but he keeps getting overshadowed. He keeps getting overshadowed. Andrew, now um, I wanted you to see this picture because you see that, that cross that he's carrying? Can you see that it's an X? Because it is thought, it is taught that Andrew was actually crucified not on the traditional Latin cross that is a T, but on this type of cross that is an X. It was not uncommon for people to be crucified in that way, um, but it, it appears that Andrew was crucified on a cross that is an X. In fact, this is called St. Andrew's cross. It appears on a lot of flags. It's interesting, you wouldn't know it, but if you look at the, at the British flag, St. Andrew's cross is in the flag. Stop and think about it. There's a big X in that thing. Scotland, it's in, that, it's in there. Even in places that you may, are, are maybe a little more familiar with, Florida and Georgia have the same X in them. It's St. Andrew's cross. It's in honor of St. Andrew. That's what the X is about. We know that Andrew was born somewhere around 10 AD. Somewhere around 10 AD. A little bit younger than Peter. Um, his name means brave, manly, macho. I love that. Your little brother's name, your name is Simon. Remember what Simon means? He listens. Guy is misnamed, right? He's got the wrong name. Simon, the one who listens. His little brother's name is Brave. That's not cool. You don't name the little brother Brave and Courageous. You name the older brother Brave and Courageous, right? You don't name the, unless Peter beat him up all the time. I don't understand why he got that name. That's what his name means. His name means manly, brave, courageous. Okay? Um, ladies, Andrea is the Latin form of this name, and it still means manly, courageous, and brave. And it really is manly, courageous. It's not womanly, courageous, and brave. You can do whatever you want with that. He's from Bethsaida. Now, this is another little village. So if you think about, uh, about the lake in Galilee, Bethsaida is sort of toward the top of the lake. These guys are from villages along that sort of top, the crest of the north of that lake. He's from Bethsaida. He's in a fishing business. 
His business is with Peter, James, and John, and they fish out of Capernaum, which is just down the lake a little bit further to the west. Okay, so southwest, west-southwest is Capernaum. Bethsaida is a little bit more to the north and to the east. He's a disciple of John the Baptist. Now, you need to stop and think about this for a sec before we move off of this. He's a disciple of John the Baptist. He's looking for something, right? Can you tell he's looking for something? A guy appears in the wilderness wearing all kinds of weird clothes and eating bugs. And he goes and finds this guy because of what he's preaching. He is not, not unwilling to work outside the box to find what's happening. So Andrew is a, is, is a seeker for sure. He's trying to understand some things. He probably has already begun to understand that, that the Messiah is coming. And as a result of his messianic desires and desire to, desire to understand the Messiah and to, to reach out... We find him down along the bank of the Jordan at the beginning of this story where John has been baptizing and preaching. He's a disciple of John the Baptist. Now, I put a question mark. You remember why I put a question mark after some of these details? Traditionally, it is believed that he founds the church that would eventually be in the city of Constantinople. Constantinople doesn't exist at this point, but in that same community, in that same little town that would later become Constantinople, he is considered the founder of that church and therefore one of the original sort of uh, main leaders of Christianity. Okay? They have bishops of several churches. Jerusalem is one of them. Corinth is one of them. Rome is one of them. He's the founder of one of those primary bishoprics, one of those primary uh, sources of, of leadership in the church, according to church tradition and history. So that's a little bit about understanding this guy, a little bit about who he is. Peter's little brother, doing okay. Okay? Oh, before I go on, it's thought that, you know, the disciples spread out when they preach, right? When they, when they start spreading the gospel, they truly spread out. It's thought that he goes north. Now, I think there's, there's wisdom in this guy because he preaches in what we know today as the resort towns of the Black Sea. He goes all the way around the Black Sea preaching and teaching about Jesus. They divided territory and went in different directions. And he says, oh, I know. I'll take the, the resorts along the Black Sea. I got those. There's a lot, of, a lot of folks who believe that after preaching around the Black Sea, he followed the river Danube into in, inland in, uh, and finally ends up in Kiev as his furthest point north. There are lots of people who claim him. Have you ever heard of St. Andrew's Golf Course? Yeah, there's some traditions that say that he made it to, to Ireland. Very, very unlikely. Extremely unlikely. Some traditions, but pretty spurious. Some traditions believe that some of the people who were there from that area where he, he taught around the Black Sea migrated to Scotland and Ireland and carried the information up there. Others say that some relics from, from Andrew were brought to, to Scotland and Ireland. Those are probably the most likely thing. And that's where St. Andrew's Church claims to have some pieces of his body. You know, it used to be when, the, when uh, people died, they would part up their body and take it to various places because it was a veneration to have the bones or the teeth or the something of someone. And so uh, finger, uh, skull cap, uh, teeth, and the rest of his skull went various places traveling. They have, they have since found their way back to uh, the Bosphorus Peninsula and he's... His, 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 all of his remains seem to be returned if they were, in fact, his remains. It's kind of hard to say. I'm, I, I, can you tell I have a little doubt on reliquary? 
I, I just, you know, you, you go into a church and they say, oh, yeah, here's Paul's toenail. Isn't that awesome? It's like, really? Paul's toenail? Great. Okay. You know, I, I just don't get it. I don't understand the point. I, I, I understand that they were trying to hang on to those very important people. and Maybe that's what I need to take away from it, that folks wanted to, to really hold on to a memory of those people that, they, that were leaders and founders in the church. So let's move into the story. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. I brought this, this map in here because this is, a, this is a kind of disputed place. Where exactly John baptized people is a disputed place. It's a very important dispute because Christians from all over the world travel to Israel. And what do they want to do? They want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, right? And we know that Jesus was walking along where he's baptizing people, right? Say yes, because I'm right. Okay. So, first place people talk about is down here by Jericho. There's a tradition that down here by Jericho, there's a place called Bethany or Bethabra, which is across the Jordan on that side where he may have been gathering. But there's a part of the story later which makes me question that, and I'll tell you that in just a second. There's another tradition that it's up here, closer to the Sea of Galilee, and those traditions fight back and forth. There's a place up near the Sea of Galilee. It's actually further north even than that arrow where, where they now do baptisms in the Jordan. If you, are, if you end up going to Israel, in fact, we're going this fall, we're going to take a church group. If you end up going to Israel and you get baptized in the Jordan up near Galilee, awesome. If you get baptized in the Jordan down near Jericho, awesome. You're still being baptized in the Jordan. You've got to just go, that is a very cool thing to have happened in your life. So if you decide to do that, if you want to do it, I don't really care which place it is. But for the sake of this story, I, I think it's the northern one. And I'll, I'll show you why. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John is starting to identify Jesus. The next day again, so a day later after that initial identification, so these guys are listening, the disciples are listening. The next day, John was there again. John had two of his followers with him. John saw Jesus walking by. John said, look, or if you have the King James, behold, which is a better word. You've got to admit, that's a better word. The Lamb of God. The two followers heard John say this, and what did they do? They followed Jesus. That means what happened with John? He's down two disciples, right? John had two disciples. Now Jesus has two disciples, and John's down two disciples. You, just simple math, right? He lost two, he gained two, right? But a piece I'd like to, to, to put out there, we get enamored with preachers. We get enamored with teachers. We get enamored with people we're following. And it needs to be something we're very careful about because we're not here following a person, no matter how good a teacher or preacher or whatever, no matter how much we're learning, we're here to follow Jesus, the ultimate outcome is that the believer follows after Jesus. And so no matter where we're learning or what we're learning, ultimately our goal is to follow Jesus. So these guys, when the time came for them to make a change in their life and go after Jesus, they had to walk away from John. Usually in our lives and in our experiences, if we're going to grow, we're going to have to walk away from something. Now, I'm not inviting you all to walk out of this church. I, I, that's not what I, my point. But I, I would say if the, if the reason for coming to this church is following a, a person, then you do need to ask yourself why. But all of us face moments when we have to walk away from something to follow after someone else. 
We have to walk away. In, in our regular life, you can't stay with your old job and get a new job, right? You can't stay with your old position and get raised up to a new position, right? You just can't. You can't stay with your old girlfriend and go after your new girlfriend. That is true. Whether you're, if you don't know this, you should. You can't stay with your old boyfriend and get a new boyfriend. Right? Can't be done. Eventually, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be caught between two, being pulled in different, different directions. You have to leave in order to follow something else. They had to leave John the Baptist in order to follow after Jesus. There was, a next, there was a next step, a higher calling, something else for them to do. And all of us face that. You have to leave Big Mac in order to become Skinny Walt. Right? Right? You, 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 have, to, you have to leave fat fried food to become not fat me. Right? There's something to be left in order for something to be gained. There's always some progression, some changes that we have. You have to leave lazy to become healthy. Right? You have to leave the bed to start your day. You've got to leave something behind to start the new thing, to follow something different. They had to leave John the Baptist to follow Jesus. Enough said. Okay, the preacher's done. Then Jesus turned, seeing them following him. Now, I love this image. So these two guys, here's John, behold, the Lamb of God. Okay, here we go. And they're following him. I wonder why they're not engaging. You know, it's like they're, it's like they're kind of, well, I don't know what we're going to do. Let's follow this guy and see where he goes. All right, I'm with you. Let's go. Let's follow. There's two of them, remember. One may not have gone. You know how it's always easier with your buddy to do something? Yeah, the buddy system always works for us. If you're putting out in a strange situation, you know, it's always better to be with a buddy to face that thing you've got to face, right? And so it was probably easier to leave John in two with, than it would have been with one. And they're following, and they're following kind of like, okay, let's just kind of keep going and see what happens. Jesus waits, I think, till they get out of earshot of John a little bit. And then, uh, now you know, you all know that my brain goes a little wacky sometimes when I imagine these stories. But here's what I imagine. They're walking along, and Jesus goes, boom! Don't you think that would be great? If, if, if Jesus turned around and went, boom! Because they're, 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 nobody's saying anything. There's, there's a guy being followed by two other guys, and nobody's saying a word. I think even the fact that he turned around and said, what are you looking for, probably scared him. He, he wouldn't, I guess, have to say boo. It's like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Well, we're, we're just, we're, they don't know what to say. Right? They, they don't know what to say. He says, what do you seek? What are you looking for? Why are you following me? What do you want? They said, Rabbi, very respectful, get this first. Rabbi, which means teacher. So they're, they're stating they're, uh, something about his elevated position. They're saying, Rabbi, or teacher, leader, you, you who we're a little scared of right now, where are you staying? Where, where are you going? Uh, uh, where do you live? Uh, what's your major? Yeah, they don't know what to say. They're just opening it up. They're trying to start a conversation. Where do, you, where do you stay? Now, John doesn't give you the whole speech that Jesus gives them. He just cuts straight to the chase, writing about 100 years or 90 years after everybody else is near the end of the century. He's writing, and he cuts right to the chase. He says, come and see. Come on, come and see. Do you think this was a relief to them? Well, let me ask you, would it have been a relief to you? 
you're following kind of furtively along. You don't know what to do. You're a little nervous, and you're following after Jesus, and Jesus is just cruising along, whistling. Boo! Hey, what are you guys looking for? Why are you following me? Where, 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 where are you staying? Are you, are you like the Holiday Inn, Motel 6? Where are you staying? Jesus says, come, come and see. Relieving all the tension, they follow Jesus. And they, the Bible says they came and saw where he was staying. And they remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. You know, the 10th hour is about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They stayed with him the rest of that day. From 4 on into the rest of that day, maybe, maybe all that night. We don't know for sure. He, that they stay with him for a while. They may stay in the same location. They, you know, Jesus... We find out foxes, the, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to go. That he's probably camping somewhere. So the disciples join him wherever that happens to be, put their head on a rock for the night to sleep after talking to Jesus for a long, long, long time. Wouldn't you? If you got Jesus by yourself, wouldn't you keep talking as long as he could keep his eyes open? I would. I'd be piling the questions on, well, what about this, and what about that, and what about this, and what about that? This is awesome. I'm glad you're here. Can we keep talking? Come on. Don't go to sleep on me. You know? Here, have another drink of water. And they listen, and they talk, and they listen, and they talk. And, and we, can you stop and absorb that for a minute? These guys sat and talked to Jesus all the rest of the day, into the evening, maybe into the wee hours of the night, talking to the Son of God, the physical creator of all things. Wow. I think they talked about everything. Bob said, what did they talk about? I have my imagination, but you don't want to hear that. Take me 45 minutes. But they talked. Now, I want, I, want you, I want you to catch a little bit of insight here. Who's writing the book? John is. Does this guy seem to have a lot of detail about that day? Most scholars believe that it's John and Andrew who are following Jesus. It's because of this kind of stuff. John knows a bunch of things, like it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Who knows this? Does Andrew tell people, oh, we found Jesus, it was 4 in the afternoon? Or does, does he just know? Because he was there. Okay? We don't hear John mention himself. In fact, John avoids mentioning himself in the entire book, right? Calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Calls himself the disciple who was leaning on Jesus' breast. He, he, he identifies himself only in sort of those kinds of terms. He wouldn't identify himself here, I'm certain, because he doesn't anywhere else in the text. I think it probably is John and Andrew that are following Jesus at this point. These two men followed Jesus after they heard about Jesus from John, John the Baptist, one of these two men was named Andrew. Again, doesn't name himself. One of these two men was named Andrew. Okay? Andrew, here we go, was Simon Peter's little brother. Right? Andrew doesn't get identified as Andrew, one of the first followers of Jesus, a guy courageous enough to leave his fishing business and go find John the Baptist in the wilderness and try to find the Messiah. We don't hear anything about how cool it is that Andrew is living up to his name, courageously going out looking for Jesus and going to John the Baptist. And when they see Jesus, following Jesus. None of that. We just hear this story. This happened and this happened and this happened. Oh, by the way, one of these guys was Andrew, who is Simon Peter's little brother, by the way. Shadow of Peter. Looms over him. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
the first thing he did. If you had just met Jesus, what would the first thing you do next be? If this was you, if this said, and one of those people was Doris, Ernie's wife, because that's how you identify Doris, Nathan's mommy, or Ernie's wife, right? And the first thing she did was, what would that blank be filled in if that were you? If, the, if this were your name, where would you? The, and then the first thing he did after that, the first thing she did after that was, stop for a second, what would it be? Would you be, you know, I, I think I'd be waking up so, so it's got Christmas to a preacher. I don't know if it is for the rest of you guys. To sit and talk to Jesus for hours and hours and hours, it would be like Christmas and Thanksgiving and, and Easter and happy birthday and anniversary, all wrapped into one thing. It would be so exciting. I don't know if I could have slept that night. I'd have been tossing and turning, rolling over the things Jesus said. And honestly, as a preacher, I'm kind of probably making note for the next times I have to preach. I'm thinking about the things Jesus said. I want to make sure I get these things down in my head. Don't lose this. Don't forget this. You know, making, making scribbles in the sand next to my sleeping bag, trying to remember what he said the night before. And then the very next day, sun comes up. Everybody's up. What are you going to do? Are you leaving Jesus? Are you walking away from Jesus? If so, why? If you walk away from Jesus after that night, you better have a really good reason, don't you think? Peter gets up the next morning and says to Jesus, and probably to John, I got to go do something. Don't go anywhere, please. Let me, I want to be able to find you later. Don't go anywhere, but I have to go find my brother. I've got to go find my big brother. And so off he goes to find Peter, which tells you Peter was nearby, right? Peter's not back home in Capernaum. Apparently, Peter had also been out there in the vicinity, maybe with John the Baptist, but he's certainly there at some point nearby. He goes and finds his brother. Bible says the first thing Andrew did was go find his brother Simon. And Andrew said to, said to Simon, we have found the Messiah. We make a big deal. Caesarea Philippi. The disciples are gathered around. They're looking there at the hillside. And the Romans and the Greeks have built statues and temples. And as they're looking at this beautiful hillside, out of which pours one of the three heads of the Jordan River. Spectacular place. They're standing there looking at all of this. Jesus turns to the disciples and says, Who do men say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Who do you say that I am? Peter, the one who speaks up and casts shadow over everybody else, the voice of all. Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It's like, yay! Look what Peter did, yay! Who got, him? Who got there first? Who told him? Yet nobody says, you know who really got this straight first among the disciples? Andrew nails it. We found the Messiah. Do you find stuff you're not looking for? Can you say I found something normally when you're not looking for it? Normally you find things you're looking for, right? Now it could be that they, he stumbled into the Messiah, but he is out in the desert with a guy wearing camel hair and eating bugs dipped in honey. 
You got to dip them in honey so that the legs don't get stuck going down. Don't you like that visual? It may have just been beans. But locusts are clean if you ever really get hungry. I suggest the honey, though. Would you be out hanging out with this guy if you're not looking for Jesus, if you're not looking for something? If you're not expecting the Messiah, would you even even be able to say to your brother, we found the Messiah if you weren't looking for the Messiah? I think think what you're seeing here is the seeker's heart. You're seeing a, a person who wants to live a different life, who knows there is something to be gathered in, that there's information that will change things, that knowing Jesus could transform his life and his experience... He's seeking after a new, different thing. Things he's been understanding or, or, or he's caught, in gl- caught glimpses of in the Old Testament. Things that he's beginning to, to, to get into focus. He's trying to fulfill uh, that, that peace that's missing and trying to fill in the blank that he knows is there now. He finds Jesus. He goes and finds his brother and he says, we found the Messiah. Note the we. He doesn't even take... I found the Messiah. John and I were hanging out with JB yesterday. He said, look at that. There goes the Lamb of God. And we went after him. He kind of scared us and said, hey, what are you guys doing? And we followed him and we hung out. We had slept on the ground next to the door. It was awesome. That's what, and we found the Messiah right there. Would you do this? Would you say, we have found the Messiah. Come with me. Come hither. We really take all the emotion out of the text, out of these moments, out of these events. You've got to let yourself understand what happened here. This is no ordinary day. You know, we've been reading Isaiah since we were little kids, Peter. You remember, so you taught me the stories. We read the book. Isaiah kept talking about this coming Messiah. We read Daniel and the, the, the Messianic prophecy. It looks like it's coming now. And we, 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 we kind of started looking. We followed this crazy John out in the wilderness eating bugs. And now we have found the Messiah. Come on, man, you got to come see him. you got to come check this out for yourself. You won't believe it. You know, he was, and, and you would just start running off all the things he told you last night, right? Wouldn't you? Maybe it's just because my mouth runs with my brain full force. But man, I couldn't, have, I couldn't have just said we found the Messiah. Come on. I'd have been just blowing up with what I'd just experienced. We get so excited when we buy a new car. You know? Oh, come look at my new car. So awesome. I, I, I read Consumer Reports, and I, did, I, I, I ran, I ran the, all, all the background checks, and I bought this car. I love this car. It's got this and this and this and this and this. And we start telling our friends all about this car. You know where I get my car reviews? I read Ernie's Facebook page. <laughs> Ernie travels a lot, so when he rents a car, he posts what he thinks about the car. And just You don't need Consumer Reports. Well, follow Ernie on Facebook. If you had met the Messiah, would you just told your brother, we found the Messiah, come on, let's go? Or would you be blowing up? I'd be blowing up. The next, next big scene for our guy, Andrew. He doesn't show up a lot. We just see him in lists. His name appears lots of times just in lists. Oh, and by the way, Andrew was there. Oh, and there were the disciples, and Andrew's in the list. He just kind of, he, he's just a throw-in in a lot of those places. 
But Jesus had heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded. And he had taken his disciples to a far place to try to get away from the crowds. He got them out along the sea, trying to get away, and somebody told somebody who told somebody that Jesus was there. And they start rolling in on him. First a few, and then many, and then a huge crowd. 5,000 men, maybe seven, eight, nine thousand with the women and the children. Jesus preaches to him and talks to him, and then towards the afternoon, things are getting late, and he needs to send him home, and they're all looking really hungry. Jesus turns to his disciples and said, Can you guys feed them, take care of him? The disciples answer back, Are you kidding me? We'd have to work for a month just to feed these people, just to give them a bite of bread. Well, while the other disciples are calculating how long they'd have to work in order to feed these people, Andrew starts looking for somebody who's got lunch. Raise your hand if you brought lunch. A little hand comes up. My mom wouldn't let me come this far without a lunch. What did you bring? Well, I've got some bread and some fish. Five loaves, two fishes. And who says, would you mind if I share that with Jesus? Little boy says, okay. Do you think a little guy who's been out there sitting there all day by himself is hungry? Could he have eaten his bread and his fish? Would that have been the end of the bread and the fish? He hands it off to Jesus. Andrew brings the fish and the bread to Jesus and he says, I, there was a little fellow here who had five loaves and two fishes. But what are they among so many? Jesus says, tell the people to sit down. Blesses the food. And they start feeding people. And they start feeding and feeding and feeding and feeding and feeding people. And they feed everybody there until everybody there is full. Everybody. Feeds the whole crowd out of a lunchbox. Now before we move from this one, this is too good a story to pass by that quickly. Just remember Andrew for a minute, but I've got to get back to this little boy. He could have eaten the lunch and it would have just been a lunch. But when he handed his little bit of provision over to Jesus, it became a miracle. And it went from his little lunchbox, maybe wrapped in a towel, maybe stuffed in his, in his sleeve, a little, little bit of food his mother had sent with him. It went from this little bit, five loaves and two fish, to enough to feed thousands of people. And when you pass on your provision to Jesus and he lays his hand on that little provision, you may get back a full basket, not just a lunchbox. Remember when this thing was all over? They collected 12 baskets full of leftovers. Can you imagine? This is my picture. You went away with the lunchbox and you come home, Hey, Mom! Mom, I got something for you. This looks like my bread. This looks like what I made. This looks like the fish you're dead. Where'd you get all this? Well, 
Andrew asked me if I would share my lunch, and you will not believe what happened next. You and I have been provisioned by God with gifts and talents and blessings. You and I have been provisioned by Jesus with gifts and talents and blessings. If we hold on to them, they are our gifts, talents, and blessings. And all they do is provide for our basic needs. But when you hand them off to Jesus, powerful, amazing, miraculous things happen. And you may go home with not just an empty lunchbox, with a basket full of leftovers. We hoard what God gives us and we miss the blessings He's offering us. The the Messiah wants to take your lunchbox? Give Him your lunchbox. See what happens. God has been calling some of you into ministry with the skills and talents that He's given you for years, maybe decades. He's saying, come on, join me in something. I don't know what it is. He may want to send you to Africa as a missionary or something. I don't know. He said, I've given you all of this. Come, come, let me bless the world through you. And we said, but God, I'm hungry. God, you know, if, if I hand off If I hand off my fish and my bread, I might go hungry. And Jesus says, if you hand off your fish and your bread, I'll take care of your hunger. I got your back. Let me bless others up front from what you have. What have you been holding out on God for a while? What's he been telling you to do with your gifts and talents and skills? What's he been asking from you? Has he been putting you in charge of stuff? Has he been trying to push you out front to do something? Have you been resisting? You're an artist. You're a mechanic. You're an accountant. You're an engineer. You're a doctor. You're a carpenter. You're a laborer. You're a person with skills and gifts and talents and blessings from God. Take this little boy's example home with you today if you take nothing else. He hands Andrew his lunch, his only lunch. And he goes home, I believe, with a basket. Who Wouldn't you at least send him home? with? you got 12 baskets. Wouldn't you at least send the kid home with a basket? You know what I hope happened, actually? I hope the disciples showed up at his house dropping off baskets before they went back in the boat to cross the sea. I hope that actually his family got a dozen baskets of fish and bread. Wouldn't that blow his mom away? You don't know what God is going to do with what you're holding on to until you let go of it. He has plans for what you have. Remember? Remember his inheritance is in you? We read in Ephesians chapter 1, like verse 18, 19, 20. His inheritance is in you, in your pocket, in your skill, in your mind, in your heart, in your gifts. His inheritance of the blessings of God's kingdom inheritance are in the church. Seeking after Jesus. Finding his brother. Now he's hanging out with Jesus again in one of those settings and a need arises. Andrew goes looking for somebody who's got a lunch. 
Philip's calculating. Let's see if we all worked for a day. It would take a month, and then after that month, we would have enough money to buy bread for. Uh, yeah, we could we could give them all a bite. And Andrew's like, anybody got a lunch? Hey, anybody got a lunch? Who brought lunch? I don't think he knows what he's going to do with it right up. He, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't know what Jesus is going to do, but he knows he's in touch with a guy who has amazing skills. Hands over the lunch and amazing things happen. He apparently becomes known as a pathway to Jesus. The disciples seem to understand that there's a way to get close to Jesus. He has a relationship with Jesus that Jesus accepts him in all the time. He, he seems to be like a gatekeeper of some sort. Because we find this happening toward the end of Jesus' ministry now. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship. So what are the, Greek, what are the Greeks doing? They're coming to worship. They're coming to worship at the feast. There are certain Greeks among those who come to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from where? Bethsaida. Where have you seen that name before? Peter, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew are all from this one little town. Do you realize these guys all were in the same business, from the same communities, probably went to the same synagogue? Jesus did not traipse around all of Israel looking for his disciples. Most of them came from this one little community. Most of his disciples are just some willing people up in Galilee. You know, the rest of Israel looked at Galilee down their nose and thought badly. Do you realize Galilee, Galilee thought badly of Nazareth? Jesus is from the worst neighborhood in the worst neighborhood. Just in case you think, oh, I was raised in a bad neighborhood. I was raised on the other side of the track. So was I. So was Jesus. Remember? This is Nathaniel. I saw you under the fig tree. Remember what he said when Philip came to him? Nathaniel's Bartholomew. Do you remember what he said? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? All these guys from the same community, they all know each other. They start looking for each other. Jesus finds Philip. Philip finds Nathaniel. Here's Philip. Then they came to Philip, these Greeks, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. They probably went to Philip because Philip has probably the most Greek name among the group. Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Do you see what kind of life this guy's leading? He finds Jesus. He meets Jesus. What is the first thing he do? The first thing he does, goes gets his brother, brings him to Jesus. He's in a crisis. There's some folks who need some help. He needs to feed these people. What does he do? He finds a little boy and takes him to Jesus. Then, toward the end of Jesus' ministry, this guy, these Greek guys come. They come to Philip. Philip comes to Andrew. Andrew simply takes them to Jesus. Do you know what he does his whole life? He just keeps taking people to Jesus. He just keeps doing that over and over again. What do we see? His role as he meets with Jesus, as Jesus and the disciples walk through the community. He just keeps taking people to Jesus, taking people to Jesus. You know what the answer you need is? It's Jesus. You know what the answer to your problem is? It's Jesus. Come with me. I'll show you into Jesus. Let's go. I think Jesus could help you out with that. Hey, I know what we could do. Let's get you to Jesus. Too many Christians think they're the answer when Jesus is in fact the answer. Too many of us say, well, my experience, my belief, my understanding, what happened to me, blah, 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 blah. We fill 
the room with words when all we really need to do is say, have you checked in with Jesus on this problem yet? Most of the time, they're going to find the answer there. Most of the time, once in a while, God will say, no, you need to talk to him because both of you need to grow in this area. He just keeps taking people to Jesus. Here's kind of how it worked. The Andrew plan. He went seeking after Jesus and connected with him personally. Now, can I stop and say, if you have not done this, what are you waiting for? You're, you are being challenged this morning. You're being called this morning. You wouldn't be here if this wasn't happening, if the Holy Spirit wasn't speaking to you. Yeah, you might be here because the Holy Spirit is speaking to your mom and she's speaking to you, but there's a reason. If you haven't yet, if you haven't yet made this personal between you and Jesus, get this done. Take the time, the quiet of where you are right now and say, Lord, I just want to make it personal. I want you to be a part of my life. I'd like you to lead me. I'd like you to be my Messiah. I'd like to give you my sins and accept the gift of salvation that's free from you. Remember, a gift has to be free to be a gift. So he meets Jesus personally. That's step one. Step two, he starts connecting those that he knows or we know with Jesus. Layer one, he doesn't start looking for people he doesn't know. He starts connecting people he already knows. He goes and looks for his brother and connects his brother with Jesus. There may be somebody in your life today who you know, family member, friend, co-worker, somebody you're close to. I'm not talking about somebody you don't know. I'm talking about somebody you already know closely that you're connected with who you, you probably need to send to Jesus. You need to point him, point them to him. Would you take a minute today and consider who that might be? It might be a coworker. It might be your boss. It, it, it might be your neighbor. It might be anybody. Is there someone you already know who needs to, needs to know Jesus? Number three. He starts connecting those who want to help with Jesus. This is a cool thing to me. Do you know that, that we have a, a group of homeless folks who, who stay overnight in our church on a regular basis? How many of you know about the gathering in? Do you know about the gathering in? Awesome. Do you know that there are non-Christian volunteers that help out with the gathering in? Do you ever consider that as evangelism? Do you ever consider that as witnessing? Some people have a burden for things. And to be able to say, hey, you know what? You can help with that through the ministry of Jesus in our church, just let them put their gifts in the altar with God and let him deal with that after that. This kid's life is never the same. He's telling this story to his great-grandchildren as they're gathered around the fire in the evening. This is the story they keep coming back with. Grandpa, tell us the story. Daddy, tell us the story. Could you tell us the story about the time you gave your lunch to Jesus? Tell us the story again. Can you tell us that story? Every time he goes to a church, hey, this is the guy who gave his lunch. Could you get up and testify what happened when you gave your lunch to Jesus? Every time he visits in a community, they introduce him. Yeah, this is Sammy. Yeah, he was, he was there one day, 5,000 people, men and 7,000 with women and children. And, and he gave his lunch to Andrew, who gave his lunch to Jesus. And Jesus, it's amazing. Could you tell that story? 
The rest of his life is transformed by what Jesus did. Bring people who want to help and connect them with Jesus. Not people who want help. People who want to help. People who want to help. And then lastly, he starts bringing strangers to Jesus. People who have, he has no connection with. You know, most, most believers jump into this end of the pool first. Most believers, when they try to, to do outreach, try to touch somebody's life, they always jump into this end of the pool first. They start looking for somebody they don't know to lead to Jesus. It's just not a good idea. He starts with who he knows. And as his experience grows, he moves to the point where he starts inviting strangers to Jesus. He keeps doing the same thing. He's just getting better at it. Pointing people to Jesus. Pointing people to Jesus. Pointing people to Jesus. You know what the answer you're looking for is? Oh, it's Jesus. You want to help out? Help Jesus. Oh, you ever heard anything about, anything about this? Well, Jesus can get that explained to you. I don't know where you see yourself on that sort of list right there. But the next step is, according to Andrew, just keep going and finding Jesus. Giving him your issues and stuff and letting him deal with it. So Andrew is the little brother figure. He and John have this in common. They both have bigger brothers. They're both fishermen. They're both a, there by John the Baptist's side the day that John points to Jesus. The prophet says, there's the Messiah. And they say, see ya, going to follow him. Things never change, never, never are the same after that. Never the same. Do you know, we've often talked about the links in the chain that reach us, that there's a chain of witnesses that starts with Jesus and gets to me and gets to you. Do you know the first witness about Jesus' Messiahship? The first link in the chain after Jesus is this one. Now you may be on another branch. You may be on John's branch. Peter meets him. You might be on Peter's branch. But the first one to put a link in the chain, the first one to say, hey, I have met Jesus and you should too is Andrew. For the rest of our lives let's just keep putting links in that chain. Let's pray. Father God there are there are things that we are afraid of and change is probably the biggest one. We're afraid to step out and witness because we're afraid we'll do it wrong. We're afraid we'll be embarrassed. We're afraid the person will reject us. We're afraid to leave the comfort of hanging out with John the Baptist and go following after you because we don't know where you live. We don't know what you're doing. We don't know where you're going. We're afraid to tell our friends because they may not want to be our friends anymore. Today we pray for courage. 
courage to follow you. Courage to listen and learn from you. Courage to be transformed by you. Courage to tell someone else. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.